Welcome to Just a Ticket, Croesia e Just a Talking, a brand new podcast brought by Transport for Wales. I'm James, your host, and every podcast we'll be joined by guests to discuss a range of topics related to transport and what we're doing as an organisation. Glasgow is now hosting COP26, and for our very first podcast and to explore what TFW is doing in this space, today we'll be discussing active travel. I'm glad to be sat today with... Matthew Gilbert, the Active Travel Leader, Transport for Wales. And Natalie Rees, Sustainable Development Manager, Transport for Wales. Welcome both to the podcast. So so active travel is a really hot topic at the moment in, in Welsh Government and Transport for Wales, Matt. What is it? What is active travel? So active travel is walking and cycling for a purpose. So it doesn't include things like taking your dog for a walk or going for a, a leisurely cycle ride just for the sake of it. It's about trying to get people out walking and cycling to uh, everyday journeys to education, employment, um, retail to go shopping, to access public transport. So anything that potentially could change people's travel habits away from the car, the private motor car, to walking and cycling. And what does it include? What are all the things it includes? You talked a little bit about walking, cycling. Yeah, so walking and cycling are the two main elements of active travel, but it also includes uh, scooting and wheeling. So it's things like skateboards could be included, could be... um, push-powered scooters that, that uh, you'd see a lot of kids using to get to school. Uh, it could also include the broader definition of walking and pedestrian access as well. So it's not just about uh, those who can who can walk as pedestrians, but it's about people with mobility needs and enabling them to be able to make those journeys as well. So it's a key part of the integrated transport model for Transport for Wales. Absolutely. So if you think about uh, most journeys to, to get to a bus stop, for example, or a train station, Walking is an everyday part of that trip, you know, and I think people underestimate the the number of walking trips they make on a daily basis. They don't tend to count walking to their local shop. They don't tend to count walking to the bus, for example. And I think that's that's a real part of it. Even even if you're driving for part of your journey, if you walk from a car park, uh, you know, to to your end destination, that's part of your of an integrated transport trip. Obviously, we'd want people to to be encouraged to to not use the car and to to walk and uh, use public transport. But you could look at things like park and stride, which is something that's been effectively used in schools where you get parents to park slightly further away from school and finish the journey by walking. So it's it's a relatively easy thing to be built into people's daily routines. So today I've come from Neath to Pont de Prix. I left my house and walked to the train station. Then I caught a train into Cardiff where I changed, caught another train to Pont de Prix and then walked to the office. So the active travel part of my journey would have been that walk to catch public transport and the walk to the office. Yeah, but if you if somebody asked you how you got to work today, you'd probably say, I came in by train. You wouldn't think about it. And I think yeah. that's part of the issue that we've got, is that it, in the public consciousness, people don't really appreciate the little journeys they make by walking, which they do every day. Uh, and they think of being asked to walk and cycle as something that only can be done over longer distance journeys and or you know take a long time. And I think that puts a lot of people off. What are the benefits of active travel? There's obviously the health benefits. So it's, it's obviously good for your health. It's good for the environment. It's, it's um, you know, a really low carbon way of moving around. Um, you know, no carbon for, for walking, low carbon in terms of uh, a bike because of the production side of things. But uh, it's, really, so it's really good for that. It's really good for your mental health. Um, allows you to switch off and focus on what you're doing. Uh, it's, um, it can be good for the economy because we generally t- uh, find that people who are um, active, are less likely to to um, to have sick days off because they they've got a, uh, an improved immune system. So there's a, there's a wide range of benefits from from walking and cycling, and obviously health is a, the big one that um, that tends to get underplayed again. And I think that's quite key when we talk about public transport in general, because if you were walking to catch a train, the walking would be your active travel element with the health benefits you just talked about. But also sitting on a train, you've got a time to switch off 
perhaps read a book, um, you know, perhaps listen to some music and, and there's benefits in that as well. So it's, it's about bringing that integrated approach to, to travel, really. Absolutely. So I think we all agree, you know, that active travel is is a really good thing. How how would it be funded? I know that there's 50 million pounds worth of funding through Welsh Government. What What is that programme? What does it entail? So that's the, the Welsh Government's active travel fund program and it's the, the the main source of funding in wales for for active travel schemes um it's changed quite a bit over the last couple of years when it was first introduced about four years ago uh we had um a, an allocation of 10 million for the first year 20 million for the second and 30 million the year after so it's been gradually ramping up uh, and this year we saw a big increase went from 30 million to 50 million for this financial year so it's it's a signal that welsh government are um, heavily invested in trying to promote active travel. They've, they're putting a lot of resources into it to try and make sure that the, the funding is there to deliver improved infrastructure and make sure that people can have the off, the opportunity of walking and cycling. Um, the the original funding allocation this year was 50, as you said, but it's actually gone up to, to 70 um, this year, which is really positive. It's really good to hear that um, the Welsh Government are funding uh, that sort of change to support their policy shift and the aspirations set out in Wales transport strategy. And Natalie, obviously these these big aspirations for Welsh Government fit into the Transport for Wales' objectives around sustainability. That's right, yeah. So we have um, broad objectives to achieve um, a sustainable transport network that people can, of Wales can be proud of. Um, and really that um, active travel fits across all of the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act goals, which is what we're trying to achieve at Transport for Wales. Um, it fits really well into um, healthier Wales, uh, cohesive communities, um, into a prosperous Wales um, and others as well. And, you know, it is a key part of our sustainability goals. What what are the other sort of things we're doing around sustainability at Transport for Wales? So um, sustainability is really broad. The seven wellbeing goals cover a range of topics um, that affect uh, people, that affect the economy, um, society, uh, the environment as well. Um, and so uh, the things that we are doing can include um, sort of micro projects, uh, such as the station greening projects that we're carrying out at the moment, where we're introducing biodiversity into the station environment to the really large projects, such as the metro, where we're using solar powered equipment to uh, make sure that we're having the least impact on the community uh, through the work we get to do. And, and on the active travel note there, Matt, Natalie touched upon the metro. Active travel is a key part of, of the development and planning the metro. Absolutely, yeah. We touched on it earlier on in terms of that integrated journey approach. And I think it's it's really important that we promote all of the, the options that are available to people and make it as attractive as possible to, to get people walking and cycling to stations where we're trying to get them to use the trains and and more broadly, public transport, so bus as well. I think there's a real opportunity to link uh, the work that we're doing around active travel and the work that Natalie's doing in terms of sustainability. So the Green Stations project's a really good example of how you can improve a station environment that makes the, the, the feel of the place more attractive for people. And I think there's if we can expand that approach uh, in terms of looking at how people interact with the space and how their journeys to the stations can be improved through enhancements to the active travel routes, which might include green infrastructure, so planting uh, and things like that. I think if we can make it a more pleasant environment and make the routes, uh, the sorts of routes that people want to use, I think that's going to be a really key part of encouraging people um, out of their cars and into uh, onto a bike or to use um, to use their feet and walk to the stations. So, so you're basically offering them a much nicer way, a nice, much nicer journey to, to go somewhere, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've got um, some pretty 
good standards now in Wales that have been released through the, the Active Travel Guidance Welsh Government published back in July. And it's about encouraging the development of infrastructure that makes people feel safer making their journeys and encourages them to do so. If you said to people to get to their nearest station, they'd have to do a one mile cycle ride, for example, in heavy traffic with HTVs and buses. I can't imagine there's going to be a lot of people that would be excited at the prospect of doing that. I think yeah. if you're looking at providing separated infrastructure, so having separate space for pedestrians, cyclists and motorized vehicles, then that suddenly makes it a lot more attractive for people who currently don't walk and cycle to think about doing so. I know it's a big barrier for a lot of non-cyclists and um, inexperienced cyclists that if they don't have the right infrastructure, it's an extra barrier that puts them off making those journeys. So it's just trying to make sure that we're removing excuses a little bit to to give people every opportunity to to make the right choice. Yeah, and I, th- I think, again, back to, to Neath, where I'm from, they've recently... Uh, put a new surface down on the canal path, which links some of the villages into town, and it makes riding a bike a lot easier and also walking a lot easier. It's a nicer way to walk into town and walk alongside the road and, and safer, actually. Yeah, so now we touched upon cycle, cycling to work, and I know that today you've you've actually cycled in yourself and you, you're an active user of active travel. Can you just talk us through your sort of experience and, and, and what it entails for you? Yeah, sure. So um, I started cycling really in, in 2014 when I um, moved up to Cardiff um, and I saw my car and I hadn't cycled since I was like 12. So for me, it was like a really big step to start to go from, you know, a general car user to, to an active traveller. And around that time, I was only cycling sort of two miles, uh, you know, each way per day. Um then it sort of increased in use as sort of really enjoying cycling and, you know, not experiencing anything particularly negative, you know, odd close passes, you know, um, nothing major. Um, and then, yeah, going sort of further and further for, for meetings on my bike. And then um, recently our office has moved up to Pontypridd. Um, and so I've invested in an e-bike and I'm doing the 30 mile round trip on a bike now which is just you know amazing it's such a good opportunity yeah. but you know I feel much better for doing it as well it's like definitely contributing to my well-being so how would you, if you were to sell it to someone who's thinking about purchasing a bike or, or using active travel as a way to work what are the top top things that you'd say to them for me um being prepared is really important when you're setting out on your journey so always make sure that like I've packed everything up really well you know wearing sensible clothes things that don't get tangled in your chain or you know um things that are uncomfortable making sure that that you're comfortable is really important you know carrying water with you things like that and then I think it's just enjoying it so um for me my journey is majority off-roads I'm quite lucky coming up to Pontypridd that I am mostly on the cycleway um you know I can I can sort of put my foot down as it is on an e-bike um and you know I just find it really fun and I think you know that's that's a major part of it for me is I get that enjoyment out of cycling where you know maybe if I was in the car feel a bit frustrated you know being stuck in traffic and you just don't get that on a bike yeah, I think, Matt, it's important that employers get behind active travel. At TFW, we've got bike spaces in the offices, you know, and we need we need employers to get behind and offer them sort of facilities for the for the employees. Yeah, I think it's really important that um, the facilities do exist at end destinations generally, but certainly with um, with businesses, it's really important that there's a that companies realise the value of it, uh, encouraging the staff to travel actively, and I think it, again. It, it's not all about cycling, it's walking and cycling. So there's little things that they could do to promote uh, more sustainable transport 
certainly through integration with public transport and walking uh, as a key part of that. But for cycling, little things like having lockers available, having cycle parking available, showers, shower facilities, a really good way of um, challenging some of the the issues that might be raised by staff members around, uh, I don't want to cycle too far because I'm going to get sweaty. Yeah, you know, what exactly, if it rains yeah. and I get dirty or if I go through puddles and all that sort of stuff. So you've got you've got to have the right facilities there to to enable people to make that choice. And I think that's a really important step for, for employers to take to, to do that. Uh, they can look at developing travel plans. At TFW, we've developed a, a travel plan last year that sets out a range of actions to try and promote more sustainable transport uh, for our staff and to see what we can do to encourage people to make more sustainable choices. Uh, and I think that's a really good way of employers sort of understanding what their uh, what their staff want and what their needs and aspirations are to, to help them make make those choices and we've talked a little bit we touched upon the funding program uh, the 50 million and there's an additional 20 million being made available through welsh government then funded schemes how do local authorities identify these schemes so local authorities uh, since the the active travel act was brought into force back in 2014 have been required to develop active travel network maps is what they're called now. And it's uh, a map that shows the existing routes, so routes that have been constructed and, and built on the ground uh, to a certain standard that meets the standards set out by Welsh Government in their active travel guidance, but also their future networks. So what they want to do over the next 15 years. And a key part of that process is uh, not only mapping key destination and origin points, so linking key places like shops and schools and um, businesses and uh, transport interchanges, those types of things. But it's using that information and supplementing it with public engagement. So it's getting as much information from the public about the routes that they use regularly or that they'd like to see developed so that there's uh, a demand that's been identified and a need that's been identified by the public. I think that's a really critical part of the process. And uh, at the moment, a lot of local authorities are going through the last stage of that that entire process where they've gone through a couple of stages of engagement with with residents to identify routes and they're now going through what's called a validation stage. So it's basically just double checking with everybody that these are the routes that we think you've identified that will make a difference to the numbers of people walking and cycling over the next 15 years. Do you agree with them, yes or no? Or have you got any last minute suggestions you'd like to make? And and I think that's it's a really good way of, of understanding what might be successful in terms of active travel routes going forward but it gives the local authorities a little bit more confidence that when they do take these routes forward and start developing them in a bit more detail that there's um that there's a latent demand there from the public to sort of say well actually if you built that we would we'd use it if there was a member of the public listening today and they've got some ideas around active travel, what routes they'd like to get developed, what advice should you give them? I'd say start with your your local authority. Have a look at the local authority web pages, see what they've got on there in terms of active travel. Uh, they'll have pages dedicated to the active travel network mapping exercise, which would be really useful. Um, alternatively, if you search for the Welsh Government's website for, for active travel, there'll be a link then to your local authority's pages, um, which will give you a bit of a, an update of where they are at the moment. But I think that you know, contacting the local authority is, is absolutely the right way to go to start with. They'll um, take on board the, the, the feedback that they get from from members of the public and, and they get a chance to comment on the routes that have been proposed right now uh, is probably the right time to get involved and to, to have you say if people do feel that there are particular routes that they're not uh, sure are being developed or if they don't think they're at the right standard or if there's room for improvement, then it always helps to have public feedback to the local authorities because... Whilst they and we are, you know, we might know 
what we're doing in terms of the transport uh, sphere in Wales, we don't know local areas as well as yeah. local residents. And I think it's really important that we listen to the feedback from local residents, not just at the planning stage, but also as um, schemes go through that development process as well. At a micro level, like Matthew was just speaking about now with the local authorities and, and local people, um, we see the issue of, of air quality really affecting small communities now. So in Wales in general, air pollution has reduced um, you know, it's it's much better than it has been in the past. But there are these, you know, small streets. There's a project going on in Caerphilly at the moment to demolish a, a street of houses that was really poorly affected by poor air quality. Um, you know, it really impacts people on, on a local scale. So, you know, having that sort of personal drive to improve your local area and then the access to, to the local authorities, you know, opportunity to fund active travel routes to improve those areas is really important. And that sort of goes back to the Wellbeing of Future Generation Act and getting people involved at a local level to make to make changes to to their communities and to society. Yeah, and it's a really important point as well, actually, to get that level of engagement early because not everybody's going to like the proposals that the local authorities are coming forward with. And there's always going to be um, two views, or at least two views, um, on, on Pro- whether... Probably a, a lot more. But yeah, absolutely. But this, you, know, you usually end up with people who are pro for these schemes or, or con the schemes. And I think what we've got to do is manage people's understanding and expectations around the projects, particularly as there's a, uh, a desire now to see more work to reallocate road space away from the private car and towards sustainable transport. So taking away car parking, for example, is, is an option in a lot of places that, that is being looked at now to give space to bus lanes or cycling and, and walking space and that doesn't always go down well with with both uh with the public and i think it's it's important that we manage those relationships as best we can to to at least let people understand why we might be making those changes and what the benefits might be and and look at ways that we could potentially mitigate some of the issues that uh, that the genuine concerns that residents might have uh, that need to be factored into the designs of schemes so i think if you get that level of engagement at a local level yeah it gives them an opportunity to be here to be heard and to have their concerns raised and addressed but it also allows that two-way dialogue to try and find a a bit of common ground that allows those schemes to progress without just ending up in um in, in a really difficult place when it comes to public objections yeah and i think that's key across the board with tfw we've got our, our community engagement teams and our community engagement officers you know working with different community groups to get that that local sort of um that local opinion input into what we're doing yeah, and I think um, as well now in the media with all the messaging around climate change, people are really starting to understand, um, you know, the importance of making these sorts of changes to, you know, whether it's the way we travel or the way we shop. Um, you know, uh, we're looking now to um, achieve net zero from our carbon emissions by 2030, uh, which is a really ambitious target. We'll be looking to introduce, um, you know, electric bus fleets or hydrogen bus fleets and electric taxis um, and also to um, increase the amount of people walking and cycling instead of um, using private cars. So 55% of emissions come from private vehicles. It's a huge part of transport emissions. Yeah. Um, so making making that switch is going to be essential. But yeah, I think, you know, you're really starting to see how urgent that message is becoming now. And, so, you know, the, the, the main selling point for active travel is number one, it's going to really benefit you. But number two, it's going to benefit the environment and future generations. Yeah, yeah, but it, it can also um, benefit the economy, people shopping locally, you know, um, it's got those wide benefits that even impact at like a global level in terms of carbon emissions. So yeah, it, it touches on, you know, 
every bit of being more sustainable. Yeah, and I think from from what you were saying about seeing the changes and, and wanting to see things coming through as well, I think it's really good that we're starting to see the physical changes on the ground as well. So places like Cardiff obviously are doing uh, some really good work in terms of separated infrastructure where you've got dedicated cycle lanes alongside uh, pedestrian space. But it's it's also more than that. It's looking at little subtle changes within urban environments because a lot of people would say well that's Cardiff and it's different to you know rural mid Wales or or southwest Wales and that's right to a point but there's still things that we can do to make it easier for people to make walking and cycling journeys within our urban areas and within towns and villages so things like having priority for pedestrians at side road junctions where there's not a huge number of vehicles turning in and out so it just allows people to have that sort of sense of ownership of the of the space and to know that they they've got the right of way and it's just prioritizing walking and cycling in a way that uh, means that people don't need to feel like the car is king you know we've, we've had that for for 50 years and, yeah. and we're starting to try and change that mindset but i think seeing the physical change on the ground and people getting used to how highway environment operates I think that's going to be a really important part of supporting behaviour change over the next few years. And, and it is a culture change for lots of people. Absolutely. And do you think that the pandemic has maybe accelerated the need for that culture change? And as since the pandemic, are more people a bit aware of how they're travelling and, and where they're travelling to and what mode of transport they're using? For those that are travelling, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think what one thing it did make people realise was that when roads are quieter and there's less cars on them, it's a much more pleasant place to walk and cycle. Yeah. And I think that helped see an increase in the number of people walking and cycling over the last year. Certainly in the first lockdown last year when um, when cars were, were taken off the roads completely and, and everybody was pretty much housebound, I think people saw an opportunity to go out and explore their local areas and experience that. And and we'd like to, to see that sort of trend continue as long as people feel comfortable and safe to do so. And I think that's the really critical point is about how we control that environment and we give more space over to to walking and cycling and, and reduce the impact of cars on people's livable space I think. And I think the return to work with more employers offering more flexibility around you know the time you start the time you finish how often you're in work will really allow people to say right I can make this journey even though it takes me a little bit longer if I travel by bike or if I walk in you know that's um, that's not going to be as um, maybe difficult as it was before to do and now you'll have um, much more opportunity to say to your employer you know I'm, I'm traveling in by bike it's going to take me you know 45 minutes instead of 15 minutes you know and I think that'll be acceptable and I think it's now is a really good time to sort of embed those good ways of working and in, into coming back. Yeah exactly I think the the new working model around hybrid working and the flexibility is really going to sort of support the active travel agenda and sustainability agenda in general. Yeah, and there's opportunities as well for not just the commute into work, but for, for anybody that's got to make business trips in the course of the day, if they can do them by using uh, a bike or by walking, you know, e-bikes particularly, if you've got uh, an organisation that offers uh, pool bikes for staff, for example, that type of thing, it, I think there's an opportunity there to encourage more people to do that as part of the business. And you can do things like offer cycle mileage to staff and um, you know, little little incentives that could make it easier for people to make that uh, that that choice, really. And you talked about cycle hire there, Matt. That's something that TFW that were looking at, at, how we can expand that across Wales. Yeah, it is. It's you know, Obviously, Next Bike in Cardiff has been pretty successful over the last couple of years, I think, uh, up until the, the the pandemic hit, it was it was doing really really well, uh, and I think we've seen a few other local authorities that are keen to to look at it, um, maybe introducing similar schemes within their local areas. And and what we're 
trying to do, or what we will be doing over the next couple of months is, is a piece of work to understand where the conditions across Wales might support a similar type of scheme to, to Next Bike. So there may be particular towns or settlements uh, across Wales that, that have got the right conditions that would mean that the setting up a cycle hire scheme would be the right way to go. It's not going to be applicable everywhere because that, that model doesn't work in every setting. But I think it's a, it's a really good opportunity in university towns or places where we've got a, a, a pretty large population. And what we're also looking at within TFW is how we can facilitate that. So what we could look at doing to, to give a, a consistent end user experience for people um, and trying to make it as easy as possible for local authorities to set up those schemes where we can. But fundamentally for us as part of the organization is how we can integrate it with train journeys and potentially public uh, bus journeys as well. So looking at cycle hire at stations, return to base uh, offers. So where people get off a train, they'd hire a bike at, at a station, cycle to the destination, whether that's for work or for education or for leisure, um, and then return the bike, get back on the train and, and go home. So it's it's thinking about the different models that are available out there rather than just the the network of publicly available spaces, uh, cycle cycles that you see in Cardiff, but it's looking at what might suit us as an organisation as part of our integrated transport mix and, and what might be best suited for different places across Wales. And I suppose in the future, there may be the provision to hire out perhaps electric bikes. And I know it's a controversial topic, but what's the thinking around e-scooters as well? Bikes first. So uh, we're absolutely looking to include e-cycles as part of the mix. We're also, um, we've also asked the, the, the consultants, consultants that are working for us to look at um, potential for inclusion of adapted and cargo e-cargo bikes as well. So it's a wider, more inclusive offer. Because I think that's really critical that it's not just seen as being standard bikes that are available. Yeah. You know, there's obviously a need to, to get more people involved generally. Um, e-scooters is a bit more of a controversial topic. It's not something that's currently legal to do in Wales. Um, we're keeping a watchful eye on the pilot projects that the Department for Transport are running in England and uh, looking to learn the lessons that they that they experience through the, the, the schemes that they're running. There's a few challenges around e-scooters. I'm, I'm sure people have seen them running around the streets in their local areas uh, yeah. in increasing numbers over the last couple of months. I, I know I certainly have. Um, but it's it's really important that we understand the practical implications of introducing similar schemes or making them uh, available for the public to use on a widespread basis and what that might mean for e-cycle or cycle hire schemes, for example. We've seen examples where if you introduce an e-scooter scheme, for example, where there's an existing cycle hire scheme, then it tends to cannibalize some of the market for that and uh, it can negatively affect the cycle hire scheme. And, and e-scooters aren't a an active mode strictly. I was going to say, I was going to say e an e-scooter wouldn't be active travel. No, because there's no active element because you're not, whereas if, as a child, if you've got a scooter, you're using your legs to push it along with an yeah. e-scooter, you just turn the throttle and, exactly. and off you go. And I think with that, you touched upon it, uh, talking about the electrical bikes you used to get to work. Having electrical bikes does offer people who perhaps wouldn't normally cycle, it gives them a little bit of encouragement to use it as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, often I'll have people shout cheater at me when I'm cycling. <laughs> it didn't happen today. But um, yeah, it's um, it's not so much about cheating. It's, you know, the powered element of the bike kicks in when you want to use it. You know, you don't have to use it for the whole journey. You can switch it on and off. Um, for me, it flattens the journey out. So it just makes it, you know, that that little bit easier than, you know, when um, cycling up to Pontypridd for me is quite hilly. So, um, yeah, and when you're doing really long commutes, if I was to cycle the 30-mile round trip every day for me, you know, that that could affect my work because I might be a bit tired. But, um, 
you know, um, having having the e-bike means I can go further than I would have on my on my usual bike. But, you know, there's nothing to say that in six months I might not be fit enough to just hop on my standard bike and do the journey, cool. you know. Yeah, you build up your fitness, yeah. But what it also does as well is for, for not just um, anybody coming into work, but it makes cycling a viable option for people who might be uh, a little bit elderly or who might not be physically as fit as, as they'd like to be. Uh, and it gives them opportunities to make journeys by bike so they wouldn't necessarily be making otherwise. I, I was quite skeptical when e-bikes first came on the market. I, I won't I won't lie. I, I did. I was in that it's cheating bracket. Yeah. But I've been a complete convert over the last five years, six years, purely because of the value it adds in terms of opening up accessibility for such a wide range of people. It, and it's it's a game changer potentially for um, making walking and cycling, cycling uh, specifically, more attractive to a, to a bigger audience. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And I think, you know, we've talked about what active travel is, we've talked a little bit about the funding programme and sort of the different schemes, the benefits, the sustainability benefits. I suppose the last thing I want to talk about is is measuring its impact. You know, how do we how do we know if what we're doing is is making a difference? Count count things, count people. It's the it's a really simple thing to say. It's a really tricky thing to get right in terms of having consistent data that can give us an evidence based approach for things. Yeah. I think historically it's also the thing that's been a little bit overlooked because we've been focused on getting the infrastructure in uh, and across Wales. There's there's been a probably a variety in terms of the amount of work put into monitoring the impact of schemes and what, what, what we're trying to do over the next uh, couple of months uh, the next year or so is to work to develop a consistency of approach for scheme level monitoring so that uh, it's easy for people to understand the impact the scheme has had on the number of people making active travel journeys but also capture it in a way that allows us to support the Wales transport strategy and to um, to allow a comparison against the objectives set out within that so Broadly, we're trying to make more people more active in Wales. You know, we wanted to be the the preferred um, mode of transport for short distance trips, and the only way that we're going to understand whether or not we're doing that is by doing proper monitoring and having scheme level data that can be built up to give us a, a fuller picture of what's happening, not just uh, on a local level but regionally and, and nationally across Wales as well. So that's where we're looking to get to and to support the the development of that monitoring framework for the Wales Transport Strategy. And Natalie, I guess that feeds into looking at sustainability goals as well and how how getting more people using active travel can support them sort of goals. Yeah, yeah. As I mentioned before, you know, active travel really touches on on all of the wellbeing goals. You know, it's one of the themes that actually does touch across all of them because you know often you'll see with with the sustainable development goals we can map them against certain goals. Yeah, so I think to bring the podcast to an end, if I was to ask you in 10 years time, what does the future look for active travel? What would you like it to look like? What would you like people to be doing in the active travel sort of um, arena? Matt, yeah, what, what would be your top five things you'd like to see? Ooh, that's, a, that's a nice open question. Um, <laughs> I would like to see a network of active travel routes or networks of active travel routes across Wales that make it easy for people choose to walk and cycle for most of their journeys for for anything that's under a mile or two and, and we, we tend to focus on first mile last mile access um, to stations and things to um, to public transport I think it's it's critical that we make it uh, a choice that people feel comfortable making and it's as easy as possible it has to be as easy if not easier than picking up your keys and getting in the car to drive. Yeah. And I think that includes not just the routes to stations or the routes to your uh, town centres or to your destinations. 
it's including things like having the right level and quality of cycle parking available so that people feel that they can leave their bikes at stations or in town centres without fear of coming back and finding a seat lying on the floor or a front wheel that's left on its own. It's making people feel that it's an actual choice that they can make rather than the hardy few that sort of swim against the tide, which is kind of how it's felt for the last 10 years. I'm seeing many more people walking and cycling generally as part of their their journeys now. And that's really positive. And I I think that we need to build on that. And and hopefully with continued investment from from Welsh government and uh, continued political and public support for, for these initiatives, I think there's a real opportunity to to make a big difference and it's it's about building that cultural change as you said earlier on it's really yeah. challenging our reliance on the car over the last 50 years which it's not a simple thing to do it took us a long time to to, to tackle um smoking recycling had the same thing you know it, it we're one of the top countries in the world for recycling now but how many years have we had promotional campaigns around recycling and getting people to, used to doing it you know and, and i think that's that's kind of where we've got to get to is get that sort of embedded cultural change in that mindset within the public that that thinks, can I walk and cycle that journey first? And if not, how else can I do it? Can I do it by sustainable modes first? And and seeing the, you know, making sure that they're aware of what all the benefits of that are to them personally, as well as to, to, the, to the wider environment. Yeah, and I think that's, that culture change needs to be for public transport in general, not just to make the active travel no, decision, absolutely. but to make the you know, make the decision to use public transport as well. And they all, they all link together as we as right. talked about. Yeah. Cause for some journeys, walking and cycling isn't going to be the right, um, the right option. It's not going to be the, the best option for certain people. There are going to be some journeys that people have to make. Um, you know, if they, if they don't own a, a cargo bike or they don't have pannier racks, doing a weekly shop on a bike can be a bit of a challenge. So you would know, still find that some journeys people will feel they have to make by car. And I think it's choosing the right mode for the right journey. It's, it's that's the, the critical message, really. We're not saying all cars uh, should be banned or that you shouldn't use a car ever. Um, yeah. You know, I think we all recognise there are certain journeys you have to make by car. So it's just making sure that people think, do I need to for this particular journey? What about you, Nat? What, what would you like to see in, in the next 10 years? So for me, I'd really like to see um, more women cycling. Um, I think a lot of women are put off by the routes being within traffic at the moment. So, you know, get getting the cycle routes in, those safe cycle routes is really important. I'd also like to see more from BAME community, more accessible opportunities for cycling. There's some great advocates for it. So yeah, looking out for, for those people who are really sort of giving cycling a go. For me, it's, you know, it's about that wider decarbonisation agenda, making sure that we're on a pathway to reducing emissions and not relying on electric vehicles to be the solution to that problem. You know, it's just putting more vehicles on the road. You know, yes, they're cleaner, but, you know, they don't offer those multiple benefits that active travel have. So, yeah, that's that's the main thing for me. Yeah, great. Well, it's been really good to talk to you both. It's been a really interesting topic, active travel and, and sustainability in general. Um, thank you both for, for coming on the podcast. Thank you You're for welcome. having us. Thank you. So before we finish today's podcast, we'll go across to Tim, who will give us an update on the news. Thanks, James. Autumn's always a, a really busy time for the rail industry, and no more so than the rugby internationals, which have kicked off at the Principality Stadium this month. It's been a really busy month for media, with Leighton Powell, our safety and sustainability director, doing interviews with BBC, ITV, and many others, talking about some of the safety measures we've got in place to keep customers safe coming into and out of Cardiff. And here's Leighton to explain a bit more. 
For the rugby matches in Cardiff, we'll be running a full timetable with all available cartridges in service and where possible additional capacity in our busiest routes. It is vital customers allow plenty of time to get into Cardiff prior to kickoff and familiarise themselves with the post-event queuing systems. Social distancing is not going to be possible on the majority of match day services and we would urge customers to take this into account when planning their journey. We have measures in place to keep passengers safe, including hand sanitizers at station, enhanced cleaning regimes on trains and stations, and queuing systems to control the flow of people into stations and onto trains. Travellers must wear a face covering on public transport, it's the law in Wales, and we continue to work closely with the British Transport Police in this. TFW staff and BTP officers will be engaging with passengers at stations, and anyone refusing to wear a face covering without an exemption could be refused travel or removed from services. Anyone who forgets to travel with a face covering should speak to TFW staff for assistance. As well as the rugby internationals, autumn is always a really disruptive time for the rail industry because of the change in weather. On our website news section, we've got an article which details some of the really interesting ways we're using technology this autumn to keep the rail industry moving. The South Wales Metro is one of the biggest projects we're working on at the moment, and work has continued at pace this month with blockades in Merthyr and Aberdeer. Jamie Meredith, Senior Construction and Safety Assurance Manager, Transport for Wales. The construction works taking place are a key part of the South Wales Metro and the transformation and electrification of the Cove Valley lines. So some of the works taking place throughout the blockade, the track works here, we've also got piling and foundation work taking place, which is uh, to facilitate the overhead line structures, which is ultimately forms part of the electrification system um, for the electrification of the Cove Valley lines in the future in order to provide a safer, more efficient and resilient uh, service for our customers. And if you'd like to know more about the South Wales Metro, we've got a really interesting podcast coming up soon, which will really get into the detail of, of what is going to be one of the biggest projects for many generations. We've got some really nice feel-good stories on the TFW website, including a story about Handlebar Barista, a coffee company who'll be well-known to people in Cardiff, who've spent many years with a trike outside Cardiff Central, and they've now got their first premises in Barry train station. We've also got a really lovely piece with Jimmy Simmons, who spent 60 years working in the shop at Haverford West train station. And finally, you can find out how we're spending heritage lottery funding to improve biodiversity at many stations across Wales. And that's all from the newsroom this week, James. Back to you. Thanks, Tim. That brings us to the end of our first podcast. Any comments, please contact us on social media using the hashtag TFWPod.